The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Kalis has been dead for a thousand years, but the idea of Kalis is still alive. Have you ever fought an idea, Picard? It has no weapon to destroy, no body to kill. The idea of Kalis's return must be stopped here now, or it will travel through the Empire like a wave and leave nothing but destruction behind. Welcome, everyone. It's Thursday, December 17th, 2015. I'm Bob Matt. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on WBCQ 5.110 MHz. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Just how do we fight an idea? That is the question that we'll try to discover an appropriate response to by our show's end today as we take a look at the controversy which has the North American media so totally consumed of late, to say nothing of the public at large. And of course, that's the whole issue of the refugee crisis, the Islamist crisis, the issues relating to terrorism. And we have the right people, pardon the pun, to discuss that issue with us today. And in our studio, and we're very pleased to have them here, we have a panel of guests, including John Thompson, top policy advisor to governments, think tanks, and international conferences on terrorism, organized crime, political extremism, propaganda, conflict. He's an ex-military officer and a public speaker who has been heard on many media, particularly in Canada. Welcome, John. Thank you. And also joining us is Salim Mansour, no, no stranger to the show, certainly. He is the Associate Professor of Political Science at Western University, author of Delectable Lie, a liberal repudiation of multiculturalism, and the Vice President of the Council of Muslims Facing Tomorrow. Also joining us, Paul McKeever, employment lawyer, leader, Freedom Party of Ontario, writer, director, and producer of the documentary Principle of Pot, and he has been both a guest and co-host of Just Right over the years. Welcome to all of you gentlemen. And before we get underway, we just want to remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, Hear us on WBCQ 5.110 MHz on shortwave and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. Well, Bob, I think I'll start the show off today by reminding our listeners and our guests here in the studio um, about some of our history and get their opinion on why Just Right was suspended, if not cancelled, from our previous um, hosting station, CHRW 94.9 FM, here in London at the University of Western Ontario, owned by the Students' Union. Uh, Just to quickly recap, uh, before we get your opinion, um, on show 419, just a few weeks ago, we had a show, ostensibly a a pre-election show for the Canadian election, wherein my segment was to speak in favor of the Conservative Party's uh, support, uh, reluctant support to the Conservative Party over the Liberals or the NDP. And during that support, it focused on one issue, which seems to be the issue that has taken over the GOP debate in the United States and is very hot here in Canada as well. And that, of course, is the immigration of the so-called Syrian refugees. Now, 
At the time, of course, the conservative position was to immigrate, to allow immigration of 10,000 um, Syrian so-called refugees before the end of the year, while the uh, NDP and the liberal policies were more or less an open-ended policy with Justin Trudeau, now pr uh, prime minister, saying that he would allow in 25,000 by year's end. The difference being, of course, is that with the Conservative Party's policy, the, the immigrants uh, would be vetted uh, and have go and gone through a better security check because of um, recent history over in Europe where a number of, um, again, so-called refugees entered the country calling, claiming to be refugees, and then they turn out to be uh, a terrorists. So the conservative uh, position was much more reasonable from a security standpoint than the Liberal or the NDP position. So I came out very uh, frankly uh, with some research to show just what percentage of Middle Eastern Muslims, and I think that distinction should be made, Middle Eastern Muslims, because there's over a billion Muslims in the world, and the problem um, seems to be located primarily in the Middle East, Arab Muslims. Um, the percentage by the Pew Research Council showed that the majority, the vast majority in some instances, of these Muslims are um, diametrically opposed to the values we hold here in the West. They would like Sharia imposed. They see no problem. Again, uh, it's about 20%. See no problem of uh, killing people with um, suicide bombers. Um, and that posed a question, a moral dilemma, which is, even though we were in favor being free people in a free country of open immigration, which I've said about before on the show, what do you do when a majority of the people from a particular group um, are diametrically opposed to the country's philosophy that they're immigrating into. And so I came out with the rather risque statement at the time that say, uh, and said, we should have no immigration of Middle Eastern Muslims, or I believe at the time I said Muslims, into Canada, given that particular statistic. And so, and I supported the conservative viewpoint of allowing 10,000 in. Now, interestingly enough, this was before Ted Cruz down in the United States running for the GOP um, presidential debate uh, um, candidacy. And more recently, Donald Trump, who now leads in the polls, came out and said virtually the exact same thing. And what I would like to ask the panel here today, John, Salim, and Paul, what is your viewpoint on what I said regarding uh, banning Muslim immigration into Canada. Now, I know that there are technical issues, like how can you how can you question somebody at the border about their religion when all I can say is, no, I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Christian Syrian, right? Um, so those technical aspects aside, what, what about the moral aspect of here in a country of grouping a people like that and banning their Im immigration? Uh, John? Well, uh, I mean, evidently you... Uh, <coughs> I hate to use the term political correctness, and actually I refer to it as neo-totalitarianism, but uh, yes, you were, you're going outside the uh, accepted bounds on discussion now. I mean, if you're talking about sports or infotainment or minor human interest stories, uh, your story would have, your comments would have passed uh, without reservation. But yes, to the larger issue, I mean, we are in a society that has made a practice of immigration and it's been very successful for us. That's also true of the United States, it's true of Australia, 
It's also historically true of Great Britain and the Netherlands. We can take most people here and they will function here. But in the, in the modern world in the last 40 years as a result largely of uh, the Wahhabi Dawa, uh, the Salafists, and the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, we found a group of people that we can't digest because there's a countervailing influence working on them to prevent their assimilation. I mean, you walk in the streets of uh, any of our cities, you walk into our universities, you'll see people from all over the world. And in Toronto, or in other cities, they're speaking English, they're accepting our institutions, they're fitting in. That's also true for a lot of people who come here from the Muslim world, but the Wahhabis and the Salafists and the Muslim Brotherhood are working against that integration. And it's like 1938 and we're inviting in Nazi party members to join people fleeing Germany. In fact, actually, with our current refugee crisis, it's like 1938 and we're blocking Jews and we're blocking German dissidents, but accepting Nazis. Mm -hmm. Salim, uh, your viewpoints on... Uh the cancellation of uh, Just Trade from CHW for that reason? Well, this is very disturbing, the cancellation. But let me say this. Uh, I think I'm the only one around this table who happens to be both an immigrant and uh, a Muslim. <laughs> so there's much to be said about that, and we, I, I'm sure we'll go around the issue. Well, I'm glad they but let you in. <laughs> 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 um, but here's the point. Uh, beyond this particular issue, which is the, the Syrian refugee and the circumstances in which this issue has erupted uh, in both Canadian politics and now in the American politics, that is a war going on and the issue of terrorism going all the way back to 9-11 and even beyond that, I think there's another issue and that to me is the more appalling situation. Uh, in our country, in Canada, and, and I think somewhat in America too that the subject of immigration has been ruled out of public discourse. I can't recall, I've been in this, uh, I've been a Canadian now for almost 44 years. Uh, and in, during this time, um, as I've become more and more interested in politics and I'm plugged into the national discourse that happened, I cannot recall at any moment that our parliament, the national parliament, has stable and discussed seriously the issue of immigration. It seems to me that immigration has become a taboo subject. It's more than a question of political correctness. And uh, it's like uh, the healthcare issue in Canada. Uh, you, both you and I, we were candidates in the 2000 election, and you remember Stockwell Day going into the national debate with a sign on, you know, no two-tier, just to stop the discussion or not to be challenged. I think that's the more appalling thing. We desperately need, the West needs it, Canada needs it, uh, and maybe the Syrian issue is going to break this, you know, this taboo and is breaking this taboo and we are going to get on a discussion. The appalling thing is that the university and the students uh, censured uh, the station for discussing a subject of great importance. Well, I think the, ostensibly the argument against CHRW at the time, uh, or just right on CHRW, was that it lacked balance. Even though I gave the opinion of Justin Trudeau, I gave the opinion of Thomas Mulcair, I gave the opinion of Stephen Harper, and then I rebutted with my opinion, which now apparently is the uh, dominant opinion of a lot of Republicans in the United States, and that was seen as not to be balanced. So 
I really question. Well, this again, the question of balance true. is like the question of beauty or ugliness in whose eyes. You know? Yeah, in whose eyes, exactly. <laughs> so that, that is, yeah. Paul, um, Paul McKeever, your, your opinion, please. I don't even think it's really about immigration that people, I mean, immigration is why, uh, is, is the context in which you are criticized for bringing up uh, the, the proposal that Muslim immigration should for some time or for some, from some places or what have you uh, be uh, curtailed or stopped. But I don't think it's about immigration at all. And it's certainly not about what they like to say it is, which is racism or what, what have you. There's this uh, convenience where they say, well, if everybody's coming from places in the Middle East, then they must be Arabic. And if they're Arabic, then it's about race and they must all be Muslims because aren't, isn't everybody from an Arabic country Muslim? Uh, and therefore, the only reason that the likes of uh, Mr. Vaughn uh, don't want in those people is because they're Arabic. It's not because of their religion. Well, of course, it's quite the opposite. And it's not even about immigration. You didn't sit there, for example, the other day and say, let's cut back on immigration. I mean, you didn't sit there and say, uh, let's cut back on people from Syria or cut back on people from Africa or cut back on people from Asia or anything along those lines. So you weren't talking about race. You weren't talking about immigration. You were talking about a, uh, a religion, which is a set of beliefs, dogma, if you will, uh, or early philosophy. And you're saying that we cannot d know what's the content of a person's head. Now, that's the one discussion they don't want anyone to have. And I think that really what this is about is uh, the idea that they, the left, who, is the, who are the, you know, the main proponents of, of labeling people racist or anti-immigration, what they stand to gain from this is the anti-capitalism that I think is inherent in any system of belief or ideology that says that the people... Uh, their life, liberty, and property should be defended rather than a system in which, for example, someone is saying, well, God should make all the rules, which is what a lot of the, um, the Sharia uh, proponents who are buried within the Muslim communities and are indistinguishable from the rest of the community uh, are proposing. I think if you've got a pro-Sharia uh, contingent, you've got an anti-capitalist contingent, and I think that's as far as the left is looking at it. The rest saying you're anti-immigration or that you're racist is just the way they're helping to... Uh, increase the odds of an anti-capitalist sentiment growing within the country. Thank you, Paul, Salim, and John, for your viewpoints on that particular topic. Now, we're going to cut to a break soon. And just to drive the point home that what I said a number of weeks ago is now seeming to be the refrain from a lot of people in Canada and the United States, um, I am not a supporter of Donald Trump. I think he could be a very dangerous president if he became president of the United States. However, every now and then, I agree with what he says. And I think that he's liked in the United States for his um, anti-political correct view. And when he came out on December 7th, I believe, and said exactly what I said to ban all Muslim immigration with the caveat, until the government gets its act together and understands, I think the quote is, what the hell is going on? Um, it showed that this opinion is now being discussed. I'm not only pushing the envelope, but uh, Donald Trump is, Ted Cruz is, and the media can no longer be ignoring what is a very popular sentiment and something that has to be discussed. But let's give a listen to the man in his own words, Donald Trump, and uh, we'll be back right after this. Shall I read you the statement? 
Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. We have no choice. We have no choice. We have no choice. According to Pew Research, among others, there is a great hatred toward Americans by large segments of the Muslim population. Most recently, a poll from Center for Security Policy released data showing 25% of those polled agreed that violence against Americans, these are people that are here, by the way, people here, 25, not 1%. By the way, 1% would be unacceptable. 1% is unacceptable. 25% of those polled agreed that violence against Americans here in the United States is justified as part, think of that, as part of the global jihad. One percent of those polled agreed that Muslims in America should have the choice of being governed according to Sharia. You know what Sharia is? Fifty-one percent. Sharia authorizes such atrocities as murder against non-believers who won't convert, beheadings, and more unthinkable acts that pose great harm to Americans, especially women. I mean, you look, especially women. Tough stuff. And we have a president that won't even mention the term. And you're talking about numbers like this. Mr. Trump stated, without looking at the various polling data, it's obvious to anybody the hatred is beyond comprehension of such a big portion. Where the hatred comes from and why, we will have to determine. We're going to have to figure it out. We have to figure it out. We can't live like this. It's going to get worse and worse. You're going to have more World Trade Centers. It's going to get worse and worse, folks. We can be politically correct and we can be stupid, but it's going to get worse and worse. Until we are able to determine and understand this problem and the dangerous threat it poses, our country cannot be the victim of horrendous attacks by people that believe only in jihad and have no sense of reason or respect for human life. They have no respect for human life. That, of course, was Donald Trump um, from uh, December 7th, I believe, in North Carolina, a speech that... uh, basically said that no immigration of Muslims into the United States until the government can understand what the hell is going on. And he's been soundly just condemned for it oh, by he's so been, many people. Oh, the media is the number one group 
that has uh, tried to destroy him because of that particular Many statement. Many are saying that what he's saying is actually unconstitutional. I don't, I don't believe that. Is what, that true? Well, no, what one person says is not unconstitutional as <laughs> well. Well, it, does. It, it, well, if you were but to act I'm not on a constitutional it, yeah. expert. Maybe around the table we can pick the brains of our guests here, John Thompson, Salim Ansour, and Paul McKeever, about uh, Donald Trump's statement. But first of all, I'd like to make mention of something that you said, Paul, about um, religion. I mentioned on uh, that show uh, that God has booted off CHRW that, first of all, you have to make the distinction between a religion and a political ideology, which I did on the show. I said, if, if Islam was just a religion, I don't think anybody would be having this discussion because nobody really cares about another person's religious beliefs, their faith. When it enters the realm of politics, that's when people start to take notice. And it's the political Islam, it is Sharia that I object to and that a lot of people object to. So just to make the distinction, um, Islam itself as a religion, in my point of view, is not an issue. It is Sharia and the number of people who hold that viewpoint. Anyway, let's go around the table. Let's start, first of all, with you, John Thompson. Um, your opinion on uh, Donald Trump's statement, uh, just to continue the story here? Well, I guess my, by way of background, we should think of it that uh, about 20 years ago it was being articulated by uh, a number of American writers that there was a, um, a political split emerging. I guess the most famous exploration is Christopher Lash's The Revolt of the Elite and the Betrayal of Democracy, that we had a sort of technocratic governing intelligentsia, to use the word lightly, pulling apart from the, the general public and going off in its own direction. And one of the primary characteristics of that sort of governing class is, is a moral narcissism which is becoming a frightening handicap and it is actually going to be our major problem in the future. The, the, the whole issue of Islamic immigration is one of the, the, the wedges that clearly illustrates this, this division. So we've got two points. One, you look at the media, which tends to side with the elite, which stripped off some of the quantifiers, like they put a period after Donald Trump's remarks so his quanti what he did to qualify his remarks is stripped off. The next thing is there's the pile-on gang to show their own moral goodness by all busy, being busy denouncing him. The other point is it's not just the United States or here that this is an issue. I mean, in the last month, we've seen the Swedes burning down sites that are proposed as refugee camps in their country because they've seen what's happened in Malmo and Stockholm. They don't want any more of it. And you know, they, they are notoriously law-abiding people. Now they're committing arson to protect themselves. We're starting to see the same thing in Germany. Uh, we're seeing this division coming up everywhere. And it's not about immigration. It's not about accepting the other. It's about, uh, it's about the influx of people who are dangerous to our society. And this is the issue that has to be sorted out. And again, it's very clear. I mean, the Islamic world is a large and diverse world. But we have no problem with the Ismailis, with the Sufis, with a number of other sects. We have very few problems with Muslims from outside of the Arab world. What we do have a problem with is that part of political Islam, the Salafists, the Muslim Brotherhood, the Wahhabis. And we can identify who they are very, very clearly. And these are the people who do not have a place in our society, not as long as they are as they are presently constituted. So, in a nutshell, would you agree with Donald Trump's statement? Ban Muslim immigration, at least from those countries, for the time being. 
I think, well, this is the difficult point for a, a democracy is we're trying to ban an ideology. But if we don't get a handle on it very soon, uh, we're going to be in serious trouble. And we have banned ideologies before. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yeah, in 1939 in Canada, we locked up the organizers for the German Bund. We knocked, uh, locked up the uh, organizers of the Italian Fascist Party. We thought seriously about some of the, uh, the militants that uh, were associated with Vichy France. Um, British Columbia went overboard and locked up all the Japanese, which they shouldn't have done, but mm -hmm. we were on the lookout. We locked up the, the communists because at the time the Soviet Union was an ally of Nazi Germany. For our self-preservation, there are plenty of examples in democratic <coughs> societies that you can identify the proponents of violent and dangerous ideologies and protect your population from. In loving memory. Salim Ansar, your opinion? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things to unpack over here in terms of uh, uh, Donald Trump's statement. And if the question is whether we have the time, there are issues uh, of uh, Islam, Islamism, and, and what is going on in the Arab Muslim world, which is an internal war. And it is a huge topic in itself, and I don't think too many Americans, or for that matter, Canadians, know anything about it. Uh, but here, here is my uh, perspective on this matter. Uh, three years ago, in October 20, uh, 2012, I was invited by the, uh, uh, the uh, Committee on Citizenship and Immigration for a parliamentary hearing. And there, I, ma I made a presentation. It was a one-hour presentation, which is available on YouTube now, but it was broadcast by the parliamentary channel where I put on the table the proposition that there should be a moratorium on Muslim immigration uh, into Canada. <coughs> so you were the first person to propose this, were it you? It seems so. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> and, and it's all on record, you know. Somebody should send that tape to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Sorry, what am I talking about? <laughs> Donald Trump <laughs> about it. But so here's the point. Look, I mean, the issue is about immigration at the heart of the matter, which I said in my opening remark, we don't want to discuss it. What has happened is we have got trapped into multiculturalism and immigration, and we have lost the sense of we are a sovereign country, Canada, United States, Britain, any, any number, we, we are a sovereign country, and the sovereign country decides who they're going to let in and who they're not going to let in. This, is not, this shouldn't be a matter of dispute, you know. Uh, so it is the right of the country, the right of the political leader, the representative of the people, to decide, you know, what numbers and from which part of the world and who is welcome to our country and who is not. I wasn't born in Calcutta with the entitlement that I have to be a Canadian. I'm eternally grateful for the fact that, you know, the doors are open to me and I'm here and I'm a Canadian and I don't go about walking as a hyphenated Canadian. Okay. So um, uh, this what what Donald Trump was saying the, the, at the core of the matter is that the Americans have to decide. America is at war or, or America has been brought into a war. America has been a target since 9-11. Uh, from a particular group of people emanating with a particular set of ideology and belief in which they have directed their wrath against America. America is the great Satan, and so they've declared war on America, and America has every right to say, you know, hey, we don't want people from that part of the world who are at war with us. And I think this is so simple and so clear, it is not even a matter of dispute. 
constitution? Absolutely. The constitution of the United States or the Charter of Rights and Freedom of Canada does not apply to somebody from Vietnam or Papua New Guinea or whichever point of the world, Chile. The Constitution of the United States of America is about we the people, that is American, it applies to the Americans. It doesn't apply to immigrants or, or people who are trying to get into America. So nobody's constitutional right is being abrogated or undermined by what uh, uh, Donald Trump said. Uh, and, and just as a footnote to this thing, I mean in 1979 when Iran uh, had this revolution and the hostage crisis evolved under uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, it was the Democratic president, Jimmy Carter, who closed the door on Iranians, who said no more Iranian into the United States. And this is all on record. And then he called in about 50,000 Iranian students in America who were on visa, sent by the Shah of Iran to America. Uh, the closeness of the Shahs of Iran in America is all on the record. And so they have these students in American universities being paid by the Iranian government. And Jimmy Carter called them up and said, you know, you report immediately to the immigration officers, you know, and we want to check in your papers. And I'm told, or at least the numbers that I've seen, is in excess of 7,000 was immediately deported because they had overstayed their their, uh, their visa requirements. And the others were told that they would be sent back, and many were sent back. So this has happened within the living memory, our living memory. And so in, in no sense is Mr. Trump uh, being uh, undermining uh, the American Constitution. So where does multiculturalism come? Here is where it comes in. I mean, the whole idea that, you know, whether it's America, whether it's Canada, we are a multicultural society, you know, and we have rights and obligations that extends to people outside of us, you know, and if, if their family members here from a certain part of the world have the right to, you know, uh, file for their immigration papers so that they can bring in their parents, their grandparents, their nephews, their aunts, whoever they want, and so we owe it to them. That's the mess that we have got, gotten ourselves into. And unless we unpack all of that, we will be in big trouble. Thank you, Salim. Paul McKeever. Three things that I, that I noticed in that, uh, in that speech by Trump. First of all, of course, the way the media reported it. Uh, they reported it as we have to stop all Muslim immigration, period. And I literally saw periods being printed in quotes. Uh, in Canadian newspapers anyway. The other thing, and and what, what he actually said was until we figured out what's going on. Okay. The, f the first way of quoting it says he's already made up his mind. Muslims are never going to be coming to the United States. And that's that, you know, that's my final decision as, as far as he's concerned. The other way of reporting it, which is where you actually quote what he said, is to say he doesn't know what's going on either. And he wants to find out before we take any further steps. In other words, he wants to be prudent. So, but prudence doesn't exactly sell newspapers. So better to call someone a bigot by misquoting them. I thought that was disgusting. Second thing was, um, you know, he talks about uh, a number of laws and uh, under under Sharia. I don't, I think those are a distraction that someone might get stoned or that someone, that these are obviously horrible laws, but that isn't the main problem with Sharia. That's the effect of Sharia. Sharia is about uh, an opposition to human beings making laws for themselves. It's about surrendering to the will of Allah and saying, Allah is the only lawmaker. We are just obeyers of that law. And it, it dispenses with the notion that laws are, are made by the people for the people, which means you dispense also with those very earthbound, earth-loving uh, philosophical commitments to such things as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness on this earth. If you're saying that God says, 
um, your law, uh, you must obey the following laws so that you live in, in an afterlife of, of eternal bliss, you're already uh, ejecting any set of laws that would enjoy allow you to enjoy life on this earth if that's what you believe. So it's anti-democratic, it's pro-totalitarian, and the very nature of, of the people who want Sharia to be law is that they want democracy to be ended. Uh, the third and final thing I just said, uh, I noticed here, is that, you know, immigration, we're, we're, we're trying to find terrorists among the 25,000 or the so many hundred. Finding terrorists is not the issue. The issue is that uh, if you are Muslim, Sharia is your set of, it's your, it's your, you know, your Ten Commandments. It's what God says that you should be doing. And the people who want Sharia to be the law of the land are not in the minority. Uh, they, they are a, a significant portion of, of uh, Muslims who are not secular, who want the government, the only government, to be sort of the hand of God that, that, um, uh, that it just enforces Allah's Sharia, Allah's law. And so when we're talking about immigration, we're talking about who will be voting for the lawmakers. It's not about who will be blowing up some building. It's about, of all of these people, all of whom eventually will be voters, what percentage of them are going to be voting for a system that's, that, that, that uh, gets rid of democracy and replaces it with theocracy? That is the greater threat. Not some guy with a bomb, but some, some thousands of people casting ballots. So it sounds like democracy is its own Achilles heel. Well, if it's not tended, as, as Salim said, you have to make sure that you choose people who are in favor of democracy if you want to allow them to come in and give them a ballot and give them the, the ability to choose uh, who will be making the laws and even to run for office themselves. And what you're saying also is um, the totalitarian aspect of Sharia dovetails quite nicely with the left here in Canada and the United States who are also totalitarian. Exactly. If you if you take away from the people uh, the power to to make their own laws, you take away from the people the power to have rights of life, liberty, and property, and obedience becomes the law of the land. And worse still, when you take away their power to speak about it, that's the big issue. And John, I know you have a point, but let's just take a quick break, and we'll be right back to continue the conversation. But the thing that we also have is we have freedom, and freedom is such an abused word. It's so common. Well, we have freedom. We have freedom. 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 What really does freedom mean? Freedom means that I can stand here at this podium with you and talk to you about things that you may violently disagree with, vehemently disagree with. But freedom means I can tell you about them without any fear to the consequences of myself. And that means that you and I can have an argument or a discussion, and you can have a hundred reasons while I'm wrong, and you can give me these hundred reasons, and if these reasons make sense, I will change my mind. Think about that. That is the product of freedom. Freedom means that in Western society, ideas become a reactor. A reactor. It's not just a furnace, it's a reactor where ideas, good and bad, are crushed together by the force of the combined power of the civilization and produce an explosive reaction that generates the energy of the intellect of the human mind and it allows us to come to some form of truth. It doesn't say I'm right. I don't say you, get to, you have to listen to me because I'm right. Freedom says you listen to me and I'll listen to you and maybe we can achieve truth together. It's self-correcting, it's powerful, it's magnificent. Every time people disagree, like with law, you should get down on your knees and thank God that you live in a society where you are allowed to openly disagree. So when I hear politicians say, what we're really looking for is unity, 
I don't want unity. I want disagreement. I want actual violent arguments. I don't want violence. I want a reactor, a marketplace of ideas where the best ideas win and the best ideas are sharpened and corrected and honed in the same way that the engineering is sharpened and corrected and honed to make an iPhone. Freedom is intellectual wealth. And freedom comes from the West. Nobody else does this. Nobody does this the way we do it. Nobody. This is why this civilization has to be defended. threshold of a new era for our people. Klingons from all over the empire will flock to my banner. Diet, something still weighs heavy on the brow of the son of Mok. Are you contemplating yet another question for me? After three days, I am beginning to wonder if you know how to do anything else. Questions are the beginning of wisdom, the mark of a true warrior. Do not forget that a leader need not answer questions of those he leads. It is enough that he says to do a thing and they will do it. If he says to run, they run. If he says to fight, they fight. If he says to die, they die. You are listening to Just Right on WBCQ 5.110 MHz, where we're in conversation with our distinguished panelists, Salim Mansour, Paul McKeever, and John Thompson. And John, you had a comment that you wanted to get in there just before the break. Well, since the, the 1960s, the Muslim Brotherhood has been advertising its strategy on destroying Western democracy by using its institutions against it. And that so many of our, the people who are busy demonstrating their terrific moral goodness by denouncing Donald Trump, actually refuse to recognize the presence of an inimical ideological threat that wants to destroy us. I think there's another point that comes up too. We're not talking about, when we talk about uh, immigration from the, the Middle East, we're not, there are people who are desperate to get out of there who in our greatest traditions need our help. Think about the Yazidis, think about all the Christians, think about some of the people from the minority sects like Druze and Alawites who would be murdered in their hundreds of thousands uh, if, for example, the uh, ISIS won. These are, these are people who desperately need shelter. And our best tradition is not, should not be about welcoming in enemies who want to destroy us. It's welcoming in the people who want to flee those enemies. And why is that not even being discussed? Well, um, John, I mean, uh, you're quite right to point out about 1960 and the Muslim Brotherhood. But John, I would remind you, in 1960, we were at the height of the Cold War. And the Muslim Brotherhood was in very intimate embrace with the West. I think here, here is the problem. There, there is. In, in general, in the West, there is a lack of historical memory. That's we have true. no memory. You know, we walk as if, you know, we are living in a, now in a 124-word Twitter feed. That's right. And there can be no substantive discussion about it and the problem. So I said to you, you know, we have to unpack all of these things. If you're simply going to talk about Islam and Islamism, then let's talk about it. I mean, the West is terribly culpable in all of this thing. 
Abdul Aziz ibn Saud, I, I've written extensively about it, was embraced first by the British and then by the famous picture captures it, you know, on USS uh, Quincy, um, President, F uh, was it Roosevelt, sitting with Abdul Aziz ibn Saud, you know. Uh, what are hands with a man who uh, murdered a million people. Uh, not only, sh he, he is the ISIS of the time. And so, my, you know, I would, I would simply draw from that conclusion, that, that, that inference, that if, the, if I see stabilize itself, takes, a, uh, you know, now Raqqa is its capital, but say, just let's do a hypothetical over here, captures Baghdad, stabilizes it, as Abdul Aziz did when he captured Mecca and Medina, you know, and stabilized it, then we will be sending our diplomats to these people, even as they are decapitating and using entire Sharia code. Now we confuse the whole thing. Islam is Sharia. Then, you know, I mean, we can back off, you know, what about, I mean, again, historical analogies and so on. What about the Renaissance popes? Were that Christianity and representative of Jesus Christ? That's an excellent point. I, yeah, I, I often say that if, if you had a, 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 let's say Canada had become 90% Catholic and somebody managed to run a political party that says we should replace the man-made laws of Canada with the, the, the biblical teachings of Jesus, not a, you would have plenty of support. Catholics would be quite comfortable with it. They wouldn't see anything wrong with a law that says you can only eat fish on Fridays, uh, that you have to fast before you go to church, uh, and you must go to church, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, people will be comfortable with whatever they're born into religiously or what have you. And that uh, is as true for Christian religions as it is for Islam and what have you. What it requires of all people what freedom requires from all people, religious and otherwise, is that they accept this division of law and lawmaking and, and civil governance from religious teachings. I mean, here you sit with us on the pro-freedom side of things as a Muslim, as a religious man, as a person who believes in God and, and has certain beliefs about what is good, what is evil, what you should do with your personal decisions in life. But you sit here... Um, dramatically opposed to the idea that everybody in this room ought to be forced at gunpoint to, to follow that particular code of morality. And I think that's got to be true, not just for Muslims. It can't be a, a, a rule only for Muslims. I, I can't tell you how many times I, I cringe when someone will get on the TV and say, Islam's the problem. This is a Judeo-Christian country, as though that somehow makes it any different. They're, they're saying, not his theocracy, our theocracy, when what they both should be saying is religion is a personal matter, governance is a secular matter, and we've all got to get on that page. But I think, frankly, that the left doesn't want that. They benefit from any pro-theocratic sentiment because it is also a pro-oppression, pro-government control sentiment. There is, in my view, I mean, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in a god, but I do believe that a government could pretend to be the hand of that god and would have all the powers of a communist government or a Nazi government or a fascist government. And they are looking for that kind of governance. They don't want us to be uh, individuals who are free. They want us to be oppressed. And if theocracy is some way of giving government that power, then bully for that, and they'll be in favor of supporting it. I think that's the real problem. When you say the West is, is, is causing this, I agree 100%. It's the left who are actually in favor of it. And they're, they're using things like terrorism as a distraction, 
what they, they, so that they can say, let's let in everyone who's not a terrorist, as though that will make a difference. The real difference is, are they pro-democratic or anti-democratic? And that's a lot tougher to do than to find out if they're carrying a bomb in their suitcase. I think that brings things back around. I mean, George Orwell in 1984, a novel which seems to be an awful lot of mandatory reading lists these days, but, you know, about totalitarianism and communications. But, uh, Freedom is the right to say two plus two equals four. Right. And from, if you have that freedom, then everything else follows. Uh, and we're not allowed to say that anymore. And actually the point is about if you have a complete unity of expression from any perspective, you, then you're missing the vitality, which is at the heart of democracy, is the fact that we can all argue about things. That's exactly we the point. We have to have the different perspectives. We have to argue. That argument, that division is our strength. That's the point that Bill Whittle was making in, in his uh, dissertation on that very issue, and that's very important. He sees it as a, as a reactor, like a reactor. Freedom's this free speech reactor where the right ideas eventually surface if, if freedom is allowed. Uh, any comments on that, Salim? Because that was a bit of well, a reaction to, to your comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look, uh, in my, in my uh, thinking, uh, we cannot talk about freedom without talking about responsibility. One of the most difficult and troubling hand thing hand is though, how they? freedom <laughs> has become conflated with license or oh, licentiousness yeah. you know so where there is no responsibility in fact there is no freedom and and the whole issue of freedom in philosophical terms comes back to the individual that the individual is not a means to somebody's end the individual is an end in himself, herself, and, and, and that's what has been lost. So the relationship of freedom, that is the individual, there is no freedom unless it is the freedom of the individual. It is not the question of the freedom of the group or the class or, and so on and so forth. It's the freedom of the individual. And the freedom of the individual is, this is, this is the yin and the yang goes on. The state on the one side, so the coercion, Let's take taxation. You can tax 100% somebody income, the person has no freedom. Or you can tax zero and there is no state, that is, there is no security. You know, you have all the freedom on one side, so the guy can go on on murder and rampage and so on. So the whole notion of freedom and response is the social contract. And so always trying to figure out what is the balance between security which is the collective, the group, that is, makes, makes the society. That's the social contract. So we're going back to the fundamentals of John Locke, you know, and freedom. You don't compromise the freedom through an excess of control, and you don't undermine security by licentiousness or by anarchy. Yeah, and in fact, I don't think you have freedom so long as no one is defending your life, liberty, or property. I, that, that defense requires force. Yes. Force is not an enemy in the hands of, of those who are using it to defend freedom. You can't just say guns are bad, force is bad. You have to say abuse of force is bad. Yeah. So, so United States is in fact the, the archetype of this whole experiment, which by the way the Americans are losing control of themselves by their own choice. It's not somebody that is the Islamists are coming in and Sharia man. It is they who are losing it. It is, the, it is the, simply the dross effect of what has happened to our education system, what has happened to our sense of citizenship and responsibility. There can be no society without a constitution. In the American constitution, the Bill of Rights is the first ten amendments. 
So the First Amendment, the protection of the individual, that's where the question comes in of freedom of speech, freedom of conscience. You don't abridge it. You cannot abridge it. And that's constitutionally protected. Gun right, you know, that's the question of security and so on and so forth. The 10 uh, 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 amendments that constitute the Bill of Rights. Uh, so <laughs> so we, we are losing that. The, the left has always been going back all the way back, you know, it's not something going back to the absolute king, you know, to the, to the, to the popes and so on and so forth, always been on the side of what you might call totalitarianism. That is, the individual is simply the means to an end of somebody else. Good spot to end, and uh, we'll be right back after this. If you want order, what do you have to do? You have to be prepared to have law and enforce the law. And people come to Canada because of the law. And if you are seriously talking about having two different laws for two different classes of people, you will not have law or order in this country. Neither. There is one law for everybody. That's what people are coming here for. They're coming for equal treatment under the law. This idea that we're going to implement Sharia, which is antithetical to everything that we believe, antithetical to everything that we believe, antithetical to the idea of free exchange of ideas, antithetical to freedom for women and homosexuals, antithetical to everything that you believe. The idea that we're having this discussion is a sign of a suicidal death wish in this culture and this civilization. I have no problem whatsoever. I am all about freedom. I have no problem whatsoever with people living under Sharia. Go live under Sharia someplace else. Don't bring it here. Because because they cannot coexist together. They cannot. They are antithetical to each other. There is a matter-antimatter reaction, and one of them will win. You're not doing anybody any favors by doing that. They came here to get away from that stuff. And if we're going to tell ourselves how morally advanced we are by lying down and putting a, throat at our, a knife at our own throats, that's not moral advantage. And that's not civilization, it's not gentleness, and it's not generosity. It's suicide. You need to have the moral courage to face that. Over there. <laughs> okay, let's start from the beginning. Where's your passport? I give up where? <laughs> Don't you have a passport? No. What's a passport? <laughs> Don't you have any identification? Well, I have a mole right here. How's that? Identification? I don't think anyone else has one right here. This is ridiculous. I can show you the one on my right hip. No, that won't be necessary. Now, now let me get this straight. You don't have a green card. Right. No passport. Ditto. No visa. Right on. No birth certificate. Not even a note from home. Legally, you don't exist. Oh, you exaggerate. Therefore, I am. Would you send the guard in here? You know, there are penalties for being an illegal alien. I resent that. Even though my father was an eyedropper, he married, Mom. He had to. Bob. I think we'd better hang on to this guy and ask him a few questions. We're back, and I guess the, we have, have only a few minutes left in today's show, so I guess the big question is, how do we fight an idea, or how do we um, defend an idea, and what, which is the higher priority? Should we be fighting an idea, or should we be more promoting 
a different idea. I don't even know if I'm asking the question right, but let's start with you this time, Paul. Well, I think, you know, good tribesman carries both a shield and a sword, or a, or a spear, as the case may be, and I think you have to do both. You have to wage war on the, on the idea, and you do that by questioning it, and by proposing the correct ideas in the face of the poor ones. But also, you have to be pre- prepared to say that the agents of a bad idea sometimes must be put down, as we do in war, all of, all of the time. And, and uh, you know, there's an old saying, I can't remember uh, which of the, the pundit, I think he's now passed away, he said, you know, if you could reason with religious people, uh, y- you know, there wouldn't be any religious people. So um, <laughs> there are people who are so committed to their idea that they will not listen to reason. And if those people resort to violence or resort to the ballot, I think then measures have to be taken in kind. If it's if they resort to the bullet, you resort to the bullet. If they resort to the ballot, you start play, uh, putting some rules in place that defend democ- democracy from those who would like to make laws to dismantle it. John? Um, I guess in, in actually fighting an ideology, it, it's hard. Um, but ideas always have a lifespan. After a while, they, they may grow stale. But the dangerous ideologies... Um, you either get rid of them by breaking them. Nazism and fascism were broken because we set all their cities on fire and destroyed their armies. The Soviet Union broke apart because you will sometimes let uh, an ideology become corrupt. People who are proponents of an ideology will always end up rewarding themselves, just like the leaders of ISIS are. They'll get greasy, turn to organized crime, and rot themselves out. The other point is sometimes you just have to manage things, muddle along in a human way, and wait until that ideology is no longer attractive to another generation. That's sometimes the least attractive idea, but it's actually what we do best. It's, it's kind of what happened at the end of World War II, isn't it? In the sense of um, the West maintaining a presence in Germany, maintaining a presence in Japan, and waiting several generations for those cultures to become westernized. Is, is that sort of a process? I always thought when we, when we started marching into the Mideast, we should have stayed there for a couple well, of it generations. Also, it also helped that we broke them, but it's also important for us to know who we are and to stay current and to remember the value of our own history, our own culture, and our own traditions, uh, which should be strong. And we've neglected teaching them at our peril. Well, I mean, um, a check on a bad idea is always brought about by a good idea. But sometimes uh, the good idea has to be backed up by its own weapon system against the bad idea which is backed up by its weapon system. What we forget and what has been forgotten that the making of a liberal society which is approximately about a 500 year work in progress going back all the way to say John Milton and his famous book Areopagitica where he talked about, you know, he was talking against censorship and where he talked about the winds of doctrine, you know, which is exactly, you know, you, 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 you let the debate take place. You don't censor the debate and you let, and what are you afraid of? If, you know, the bad idea will be beaten by the good idea and if the good idea cannot beat it, then the good idea itself is weak and, and flawed. And so that's where we are. If we are an open society, if we are a liberal society, then that society must have a liberal culture that is an open culture, the culture that is based upon these values. This is where the West 
worked 500 years in progress has now derailed itself. The whole notion of multiculturalism, political co correctness, now that, that has become the sort of, you know, asterisk in our society or the portmark in a, in a liberal society is where the derailment has taken place. But uh, it's always understood, going back to jo uh, John Milton and through John Locke all the way to, you know, John Mills and into uh, our time, it was always understood that a liberal culture is also a, a fighting culture. At the end of the day, you know, uh, liberalism fought to defeat uh, uh, Nazism, fought to defeat Japanese imperial militarism, fought to defeat Soviet communism. Uh, and now it is closing down. And the so, irony so, so, is it is closing so down. So what do you do in a case? Who's going to do this teaching? Uh, I mean, we were on a university campus where they no longer teach those values anymore, apparently. You're, you're teaching political science yeah, so up that's there. Right, that, I mean, uh, who, who's going to do this, and how are we going to get that started again? The great, book, the great book of our generation was the one that came out in 1987, and I was in some way fortunate to be one of, not directly his student, but I used to sit in in his lecture, Alan Bloom, The Close of the American mind. Once the mind starts getting closed, that's it, you know, there is the open society, Karl Popper and, and open society and freedom, and then, or, or his classic book written during the Second World War, open society and its enemies. So who were the open society's enemies? The Third Reich, the burning of the books, mm -hmm. which is symbolically the burning of ideas, uh, and all of those people who had to flee, remember, it was Einstein, and on, on and on, you know, Fermi, the great scientist, the great philosopher, the great man who had to flee Europe, which was the cradle of Renaissance and Enlightenment, then had to flee it. This is what happens. Society crashes, society implodes. We have come out, if you abandon religion, I mean, that's another dis uh, discussion, you know, if you abandon the principles of religion, then you shove it with all the dross of whatever it is, the argument, you know, and so then you start believing that you're little gods and that, you know, you can perpetuate yourself. You know, the, the idea of perfection, whether you go back to Plato or you come into our time, the idea of perfection, which is the premise upon which a society builds itself towards an ideal, is beyond man. If man himself is the principle, is the premise, then man himself is corrupt. Corrupt by what, by what sense? That is, man is fallible. Man is imperfect. Man is mortal. And that which is mortal dies. That's the second law of entropy. <laughs> well, we're certainly learning about our infallibility recently, <laughs> I think. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's it for our show today. We're uh, the time just runs by. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Paul McKeever, Salim Mansour, John Thompson. Uh, it's been a very stimulating conversation, and I'm sure it's not one that's going to go away. We're certainly not going to go away. Remember, join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. <laughs> I'm here to register. I'm an alien. Fill this out and bring it back to me. No sweat. No, 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 no. Sergey, didn't even phase him when I told him I was an alien. Oh, he sees hundreds of aliens every week. Whoa, this pen's on a leash.
What's wrong? Did you write a bad check? <laughs> see, name? Mork. Easy, one down. And let's see, occupation. Observing your primitive planet and reporting back its customs to Orson. Oh, hey, I can't answer this one. What should I do? Oh, take these to that nice clerk over there. Hey, have you had a recent vaccination? No, but I'd like to go to Miami Beach and stay at the Fountain Blow. <laughs> no, vaccination, like when they stick you with a needle. Oh, I get the point. <laughs> <laughs> 